DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. I am delighted to be joined by Stephen Benz, who's an award-winning author of over 30 books, a biblical scholar, popular speaker, and psychotherapist. Following graduate degrees in the Gregorian University, the Pontifical Bible Institute in Rome, and the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, he has developed Bible studies in the church for over two decades and has offered numerous study trips and pilgrimages to biblical lands. Stephen speaks frequently at churches and national conferences in the area of biblical studies, Christian spirituality, and psychosocial personal development. With Stephen Benz, we go inside the pages of Learning to Pray, part of the Lectio Divina Bible Study, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to us about Lectio Divina, uh, for those who may not be familiar with the term. Lectio Divina is an ancient way of praying with the Scriptures, uh, began in the early church. Um, Origen in the third century is the first to speak about it, although it was probably uh, done and practiced uh, much earlier than that, even going back into the Jewish tradition. But it has been nurtured throughout the centuries of the church, uh, primarily through the fathers and mothers of the desert, uh, the patristic writers, the monastic tradition of the church. Uh, but today what we're seeing in the church is a, a, a renewal of Lectio Divina, a, a new fascination in that ancient tradition. Uh, for so long in the church we had uh, been given the impression that this form of prayer, particularly the highest uh, stages of this prayer, uh, contemplation, was something that could only be experienced by, by the monks and uh, the mystics. But uh, thanks to uh, Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict and lots of other spiritual writers of our day, uh, this tradition of Lectio Divina has been revived and, and encouraged for all the people of God, for the whole Church. I think this is a, a, a tremendous approach to Lectio Divina, too, how you've brought it about. Because in the early Church, there was this great emphasis on preparation before we receive the mysteries, quote-unquote, before we are initiated. And once that preparation, we learn everything that can begin to really foster and grow in our brain, we enter into that initiation, and that's when we enter a great time called mystagogia, which for the baptized Christian is really the rest of our lives, isn't it? It is, yes. Funny you should mention that, because I I really wanted to call this series um, something like Lifelong Mystagogy in the Catholic Way. Perfect. Because what, I, uh, what I'm doing in this series, uh, three of which have been published, the first was on the Mass in Scripture, the second on the Sacraments in Scripture, and now this third on the Prayer in, in Scripture, Learning to Pray in Scripture. Um, what I'm focusing on is the, the mysteries of the faith, particularly uh, the Catholic experience of those mysteries. And, and as you say, mystagogy was um, the catechetical method of talking about and leading to a deeper understanding of the mysteries of faith 
after they had been experienced. So the, the catechumens, after Easter, entered into the stage of mystagogy, you know, to talk about the sacraments that they had experienced and the, the deeper, ever-deepening uh, richness that that brings to their lives. And, um, and that really is the, the lifelong process of all Christians. We are constantly challenged to come to a deeper appreciation and, and love of those things which we experience as Christians. Uh, first and foremost, of course, the, the Mass, the Eucharist, and all of the sacraments. And then in this series, I, I hope to, to continue uh, to do that uh, with prayer in this, in this particular book that we're talking about today, and uh, the next one that I'm working on right this moment, actually, is on the creed. Oh, good. Uh, the creed in Scripture. And so you can see by, at least by those first four titles, um, that we're really touching on the, uh, the four pillars of the catechism. Mm-hmm. Um, the creed, of course, is the, the, the first pillar, the doctrinal teachings of the Church. The second pillar, the, the worship and sacramental life of the Church in the Mass and the Sacraments. Uh, the third pillar is the Christian uh, moral life, and so I hope to do one perhaps on the, the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes um, in Scripture, and then, um, and then this one on uh, prayer is the fourth pillar. And, uh, but there's lots of other topics that, that can be drawn on uh, for the Christian uh, experience uh, to more deeply reflect on through Scripture. Again, to emphasize that understanding of mystagogia is that we are not left orphan in our study. That if not only learning in, about the scriptures, which so many people, there seems to be a great renewal of Catholics entering into scripture study, but it has to make the journey, as our Holy Father said, from the head to the heart. Yeah. And the, in the only way that really can happen is through prayer, but knowing how to listen in prayer while also studying. Well, that's that's the key to Lexio Divina, don't you think? I, I think that's why it's uh, being so emphasized in the Church today. Um, you know, after the, the Second Vatican Council, and um, particularly uh, uh, De Verbum on, on the Word of God in the Church, Catholics realize, you know, we have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, the mm-hmm. Bible has always been the the book of the church through the centuries, but over the last couple centuries, we we were somewhat uh, negligent in uh, getting the Bible into people's hands and uh, and uh, opening wide, as the Council says, the Scriptures for all the people of God. And so there was a great emphasis on getting to know the Scripture, you know, learning the, the story of Scripture and the characters and that sort of thing. And and that was essentially uh, looking for information about the Bible. And uh, while that's all very important, um, you know, information, learning about the Bible, uh, familiarizing ourselves with the Bible, it has to be more than that. And that's what, uh, that's what the early fathers of the Church, and, and that's what uh, this tradition of Lectio Divina teaches us, that, that the head knowledge, uh, or, you know, what we've been doing for the last couple centuries in higher biblical studies, the historical you know, critical method. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that is good, but it's just the beginning. You know, trying to get at what the author was saying, the original author at the time, uh, is a very good thing. And we wouldn't want to undermine any of the, the richness, richness that has been uncovered through 
through all of that in recent history. But, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of the process. As you said, it has to go from the head to the heart. And so, um, you know, Lexio Divina, it's hard, to, it's hard to define Lexio Divina. So what I've done in my writing is, is um, because so many people think it's just a series of steps, you know, mm-hmm. four or five steps that you go through. And, uh, but it's, uh, the ancient tradition is far richer than that. Um, first of all, Lexio Divina enters us into a personal encounter with God through Scripture. That's really the heart of it all, uh, you know, trusting that this book is inspired, that the Holy Spirit uh, lives and abides in this Word, and that it, it is the means for us to personally encounter our God. That's a lot different than, you know, just learning about the Bible. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And Lectio Divina establishes a dialogue. And the writings of Pope Benedict talk a lot about this, drawing back from uh, Athanasius, I believe, and, and Ambrose, who talk about uh, the dialogue of Scripture, listening to God in Scripture, and then responding to God with heartfelt prayer. So it's this ongoing dialogue, listening and responding. Uh, so and that's really uh, what we're challenged to do with the Scripture. Uh, the heart of Lectio Divina is this, this gentle um, conversation with God. I think that that way of thinking about uh, conversing with God or or prayer challenges our our usual ways of thinking about prayer, and this you know kind of leads us into the this most recent book I've written on learning to pray. Most of the time, we think of prayer as talking to God or petitioning God, mm-hmm. and then waiting and waiting, maybe waiting some more for God to respond. But really, prayer is the opposite of that. It's the reverse of that. First, we listen to God. We listen to God through His Word, primarily, as He speaks to us. And then, and only then, can we respond to God in prayer. And I think that this way of of praying really enriches our prayer. It uh, gives us new vocabulary for our prayer, uh, new ways of praying. When we learn from the prayers of Scripture, when when we have... Uh, meditated on and, and prayed over the Word of God, then we respond to God in prayer using some of those same words and, and images. And so our prayer doesn't become the kind of rote pattern that at least I find myself falling into sometimes, but, it, uh, but prayer is enriched uh, through this way of thinking about um, Scripture and prayer. Mm, wonderful. Stephen, I just have to—I have to tell you that this book can again be used for individual study, but it's ideal for group study as well, whether in a parish or maybe an apostolate or a ministry or just a gathering of friends. Yes, and that's um, what we're finding, and people are using it in both ways. And I very consciously have been writing over the past um, oh ten years or so. Uh, Bible studies that can be used both by individuals and by by small groups. You know, for so long, particularly in the 70s and 80s, we had um, introduced people in parishes by forming small groups. And, and that's wonderful, and I think it's probably the best way of, of uh, reading and reflecting on Scripture to do it with others. But there are a lot of people in, in communities that, that either don't want to or are unable to, you know, come to church for another hour every week. And so I 
I always encourage in parishes, if they, they want to take up uh, one of these Bible studies, to not just invite people who want to form small groups, but, but to invite everyone. You know, I think most Catholics, the majority of people in our parishes, have a real desire to, uh, to enter more deeply into Scripture and to, to figure out in their lives how they can read uh, Scripture in a transformative way for themselves. I just loved it. I mean, I was having a, just a, a glorious encounter with prayer just in the beginning chapters, but when I turned the page and I saw that we would be looking at Judas' prayer of trust in God, or or then following that was Tobit, I just thought, oh, yes, this is it. Because you never, you brought forth, as you just said, those that had really trusted in God and opened their hearts and cried out in in praise to God in their prayer. And so they're teaching us what that zeal, that connection that they had and why. And so I just, you know, first, thank you for that. You don't see that in, well, at least I haven't, in other mm-hmm. books on the same topic. Yeah, uh, there, there's so much on prayer out there, and, and I've been enriched by so many other writers, you know, writing about prayer and the tradition of prayer. But uh, but because my field really is, is biblical studies, I, I thought that, you know, by taking the actual prayers of these biblical writers, that that would go- help us a great deal in, in learning how to pray. And... Um, yeah, I was, I was, of course, everything I write, I'm enriched by the whole process of writing, and, uh, and I just love so many of those prayers um, that I've included in here. And then, you know, it's always a challenge for me when I write about them, because, you know, after the biblical passage, I, I write an understanding part, uh, a bit of a commentary, and helping the reader to, um, to go deeper into the prayer and, and highlighting certain aspects of the prayer. But then I... Then I challenge the reader, and, and really in the whole process I'm challenging myself too, to, to reflect upon that uh, in a series of reflection questions, trying to apply that prayer and those words of, those, of the ancients to our own life of prayer and our own life of, of discipleship in, in Jesus. And then, um, and then leading to prayer. And uh, so I, I write a prayer, just a, a few sentences, which is just the beginning, then I encourage the reader to continue with their own prayer in that vein, you know, to continue responding to what they have heard in the Scripture in their own uh, prayer from the heart. And then finally, uh, the last, what I call movement of Lectio Divina, is, is acting, acting on that prayer or, or witness, you know, how to bring that experience of Lectio Divina into one's everyday Christian life. So I, I just challenge uh, at the end of each one of those sessions uh, the reader to, to think of a way that, that they can personally apply this to their own life of Christian witness. Well, let's take a look at what a particular lesson might offer someone, I mean, as far as how you lead them through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like at the very beginning, of course, at the heart, the very heart of Lectio Divina, yes, it's the listening portion. Yeah. It's it's you present like for example in Judas prayer. I keep going back to that, but I was so delighted to see that this this was a, a source of meditation. But in Judas prayer of trust in God, you present the scripture. Yeah. 
Yes. And you help guide us in that deep listening, taking that moment. But then following that, it's to understand the understanding portion of it. And that's where the study portion of this is not lost. So it, it's, yes, it's leading us in a meditation, but then there's also uh, that background that you bring to us as far as the study to augment what we may, gleanings that we might have missed. Yes, that's, uh, you know, that's what I consider part of my task as a scholar, to help people to, um, to enter into that and, and, and highlight certain things and, uh, and to uh, give the reader a bit of a background toward that. Uh, you know, not, not too much. These are not uh, scholarly commentaries by any stretch of the imagination, but, but they're the kind of commentary that I think can be most helpful for people as they continue that process of making the scripture their own. Right, and then after we've had a, a time to kind of chew on that as well, it goes on to reflecting, and you help us. I think th that can be challenging for us sometimes, especially if we're entering into areas we may not have traveled before. Again, whether it's in this, we may have heard and pondered in the past those moments in Moses and Abraham's life and those different teachings, but to go into it, here I am again with Judith or Tobit or with different apostles, you, you kind of give us some areas given the challenges that they encountered in the scriptures. Yes, yes, exactly. Trying to pick out those those elements of their prayer and, and their uh, their journey with the Lord in, um, that can be applied to our own lives today. Um, mm -hmm. Just looking at uh, Judith's prayer, for example, one of the reflections says, Judith knows that God does not depend on worldly power. Says, she says, for your strength does not depend on numbers nor your might on the powerful. And then I ask, in what way does God continue to demonstrate his strength through the weak and the lowly? Um, you know, the thing about Judith is she was, uh, she was a, a woman in a man's world, for one thing, that mm -hmm. uh, she, she was the great heroine who, who saved God's people and was an instrument of God's uh, salvation. Uh, but she was so, so humble about it all and, um, and really uh, put her trust totally in God. So, so her prayer really can teach us how to, how to trust more deeply, how to trust completely in God. And um, by praying her prayer, we can, we can learn to do that too. Then you offer to us the, the section in this particular lesson that is entitled Praying. Yes. And kind of, once again, during the whole lesson, there is prayer occurring. But in this moment, it's to kind of, okay, now take a look at this aspect. Or kind of, I mean, you're, you're creating this whole moment of prayer. Yes. In this lesson that takes on all the different uh, nuances that makes praying a, a rich experience. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, as you say, the whole process is, is prayer. It's a prayerful, reflective reading of Scripture. But, but there comes a moment after, after the listening and after the reflection that, uh, that we have to respond. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what this praying section is, uh, oratio in the ancient tradition, uh, responding to, to God from the heart. And, um, 
so I so I write a few lines of prayer, and then I encourage the, the reader to continue with their own prayer, uh, continue asking God for the courage and the trust of Judith, continue to pray like Judith uh, in the situations of our life when we feel uh, helpless, uh, but somehow maybe an instrument of God in the life of others. Yeah, I, I am also very appreciative of the final portion of the lesson, and that is the acting portion. Because, you know, the Lord I have found, Stephen, in, in my experience, that he never wastes the drop of grace. And that in, in that encounter, and it, it may be very nurturing and edifying for us, it ultimately will be poured out for others as well. Yes, and in uh -huh. that in that acting, it, I, I go back to Matthew 25. Uh, how how will the Lord know us? And it's by how we've, you know, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, aided the poor, visited the imprisoned. And to know what it is he's calling for us in that moment may not be those things necessarily at that moment, but what is this prayer? What What is that grace he's trying to lead us to? Yes. Yes, the, the, the acting is um, a part of Lectio Divina that sometimes people don't include. Uh, it, was all, it was really implied in the ancient tradition. You know, the fathers never um, said, that, said that a person's mm -hmm. um, interpretation of Scripture is never complete until they have found a way to act on that word in their, in their lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what that's really the final stage. After this prayerful meditation on Scripture, then we must find a way to actualize it in our lives. Uh, and that's really uh, the way of Christian discipleship. So um, you know, in the in the ancient tradition, contemplation and uh, action were never really separated. You know, all, the most uh, Heroic witnesses to the faith have always been contemplative people, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but people who use their prayerful contemplation then to to act and make a difference in in the world. So uh, so uh, you know I think we're called to be active contemplatives. I think as Thomas Burton called us. Um, so yes, that's uh, that praying and then acting on the word. Uh, the, James, of course, you know, says we have to be doers of the word not hearers only. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, that's really the final stage of this whole process. Well, that's the, the real key to the new evangelization, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, it, we're called to be a lumen gentium, uh, that we're light into the world. And it, it would be different if we had the unique calling of those in religious life who have been called to the, the cloister or to particular charism in which they pray for the world, which takes on a, a suffering and a challenge that most of us uh, would probably never really be able to, <laughs> to uh, even imagine, the, you know, like the Carmelites and, and all the others that have offered up themselves for us in that prayer. But our prayer is to help us, we've been, for most of us, have been called to live in the world to witness to others. That's why that acting portion is so an important element of Lexio, so we just don't stay walled up in our houses. That's right. 
Yeah, you know, I think the the wonderful thing about the new evangelization is that we're all a part of it. You know, every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be an evangelizer, and it's it's much a uh, it's a much broader understanding of of uh, evangelizing than perhaps we had had in the past over the past few centuries, at least. Uh, because it's not just going out to the nations, not to just to foreign countries, to people who have never heard the word, but but re-evangelizing and uh, first of all, evangelizing ourselves. You know, it's it's evangelizing the church from within is the first calling of the new evangelization, and then only then will be will we be worthy witnesses to others. You know, that's what the early church was. Uh, they. Uh, People came to those early communities because they they saw that this was an alternative community. This was something very attractive, something that they wanted to be a part of, and that's how we've we've got to evangelize ourselves. We've got to become an attractive community of faith, so that when people see our lives and our communities, uh, they want to be a part of it. You know, that's the best kind of evangelization. That's that's really the evangelization of the first disciples. Uh, and it has to be the evangelization of 21st century disciples. Yeah, it, it there is no true option to opt out. I, it, we may not be called to stand on the corner and pass out pamphlets or to make an announcement. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. May have that that prophetic calling in the, in that very uh, grand way. But for most of us, it will just be how we treat our neighbor, how we forgive the person that has hurt us. That's right. That, uh, and to be able to do the, the challenging, the moral thing, to live it out at home and in our workplace, that, that's really how they'll know Jesus. Exactly. Uh, you know, however we, we are called to live the gospel. You know, that, that, that's what it's all about. Uh, living the good news. Realizing that it, it makes a, a difference within ourselves and that and uh, if it does make a difference within our own lives, then we naturally express it outwardly. Um, you know, as Francis, who is attributed with the words, you know, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Well, mm-hmm. we, that's, that's what a Christian life is all about. It's about preaching the gospel. And uh, so first of all, people see our lives and are attracted to what must be motivating us from within. But then I think often we often we have to use words. It's important for us to use words uh, to explain to people, you know, w- w- what is the reason for our hope? You know, what is it that motivates our lives? What is it that gives us the, the deep uh, joy and, and confidence that we might seem to have as a, as a believer in Christ? Uh, so it's, it's a very exciting time that we live in, for sure. For sure, and it makes it easier when we have your work, Stephen Benz, and particularly in this, the Lectio Divina Bible Study, and in this work, what we're, we, we've been lifting up and featuring um, in this episode is Learning to Pray in Scripture, uh, published by the good folks at Our Sunday Visitor, who always have such wonderful material for all of us. I can't think of a dud in their whole catalog. Stephen, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for your work, and uh, thanks for having me. With Stephen Benz, we've gone inside the pages of Learning to Pray in Scripture. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to osv.com, the website for its publisher, Our Sunday Visitor, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. 
To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a discerninghearts.com production. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.